0: you have to try Miro today. To show you how powerful it is, I created my own Miro board that you can check out at Miro.com slash It has a ton of resources for entrepreneurs, but it will also show you all the functionality of Miro. So go to Miro.com or go to Miro.com slash success for a ton of resources. Try Miro today. It's going to radically change how you collaborate with your team. Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot podcast network. HubSpot has been a huge supporter of the show. They have so many tools. That can help your business. The one that I want to just mention today, so you go check it out, is their new AI chatbot. It's called Campaign Assistant, and it's a totally free to use AI tool made for marketers and business leaders who spend hours a day on content creation. Campaign Assistant will transform the way you build marketing campaigns at scale. Craft personalized emails, ads, and landing pages in a matter of minutes. Just pick the content type, add key selling points, and let AI take it from there. It works seamlessly with all of HubSpot's marketing and sales tools to scale your output across email, social, and more. So AI your way to your most effective campaigns yet at HubSpot.com campaign assistant.
1: actually had delusions of med school is the way I like to put it. But, you know, frankly, I think I spent too, too much time in the wrong places on the university campus to get myself there. Uh, And then, you know, and then I moved into kind of communications on more of the technical side and, and ended up working for a whole bunch of the, you know, small companies, startups, but also giants, right? So the Cisco's uh, Intel's Blackberry, and that was a great experience because I got to, you know, I got to see those companies go through those different um, maturity and growth stages, right? Which is always, you know, I think it's a good lesson to understand. You know, sometimes what got you here is I'm going to get you there, and the types of changes that that are required. But throughout all of that, it was always about understanding the customer and building relationships. And you know, one of them think I think the most valuable lessons I got out of you know Cisco was that every year they conducted this very comprehensive customer survey and all of our security badges had this tag on it that they gave us every year that had, um, like a score out of five, you know, it said this year's target is a 4.85 out of five. And that was based on, uh, the customer feedback. And of course that all related, you know, to your compensation and to bonuses and everything they gave, which, which I thought was a really compelling way of doing it. Right. Because there was pure transparency, You understood what was at stake. And I think the the bigger piece from a business perspective is that they had come up with a good secret sauce that got everybody on board, right? That got you out of that mindset of, well, that's not my job, right? Or, you know, well, if the customer's, you know, got a problem, that's the sales reps, you know, that's what they get paid for, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And so we all were kind of, you know, banded together, knowing that whatever I contributed, whether it was directly within my mandate, or it was something outside of it, you know, at the end of the day, that was, there was, there was, it was worth it, right? And, 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 you know, that was one of the biggest things I saw. And they also, I had a good uh, manager there who, you know, kind of walked me through a lot of, it's not about quantity, it's not about quality. Like you can keep creating white papers or case studies or documents, but the reality is if the message doesn't resonate with the audience, who cares, right? Uh, More is not necessarily better. In fact, often it's quite the opposite you know, coming up with that concise message, concise way of of communicating value was, was so critical. So doing that, seeing a lot of technology evolve, and of course, on the IT security space, things have changed dramatically, right, from the beginning of, let's call it, consumer internet usage right through to, you know, the latest technology. And of course, now dealing with governments and major businesses and all sorts of different facets that, you know, are facing the kind of cyber attacks that we unfortunately read about every day in the news right and <laughs> far, and, far you know, too often, often now? <laughs> far too often yeah exactly uh, no i was gonna say yeah.
0: uh, so you were working you were working for all these these tech giants um yeah and, and what capacity was was were these roles were these on these were on the more on the uh back end i said it infrastructure security side which is i'm assuming how you pivoted yeah. into what you're working on now
1: Yeah, ironically, it started in uh, technical communications, writing, you know, documents and manuals. And then that kind of parlayed into uh, into uh, things like marketing material. But I always sort of straddle the tech and the the, sort of the the communications of the, you know, go to market side. Um, So, you know, I think the difference there was that I understood how these things worked. I started to understand what it was like to do the job. Um, And then I kind of moved more into the business side of it, right? And understanding what the, you know, what problems were those customers trying to solve or, you know, what kept them up at night, Um, how to work with some of the constituents that they had, but also some of the governance that they had. So, you know, if they were like in finance and you're heavily regulated, it's like, what do you really need to do to satisfy these people? Um, And, you know, it kind of builds trust, right? And you kind of get to the point where they, you know, they started coming to me as, as, um, you know, I, I don't know about an expert, but, you know, it was kind of a, I need a sounding board. You know, here's what I'm thinking of doing. Does that make sense? And I also had, had, I think because I straddled so many different industries, right? I worked in, you know, I was working with players in finance and high tech and healthcare and manufacturing and legal and transportation, a whole whack of them that, you know, I could start to say, I know you think in finance you have special problems. But at the end of the day, they're all kind of the same problems that other people have. So you just use a different vocabulary. You may have a different, you know, uh, collection of of letters for your regulator, but you're all trying to solve the same problems and you all kind of look the same, right? And that's where I could start to, you know, uh, kind of parlay some of the lessons I'd learned in say healthcare and bring those over into finance because it's you know it's like we all get trapped in our own box right we you know we start to it's self-fulfilling prophecies because we're being driven by the same things it's echo chambers because we talk to our peer and our peer tells us the same that has the same problems in the same way of solving them and then you kind of go outside of that mandate and all of a sudden you get a fresh perspective and you know so i think being able to to do that and, you know, like I said, to kind of take the information from one camp and bring it to another was a value add they weren't seeing normally.
0: And and what are the what are the problems that all of these companies are trying to figure out in, in, in this in this realm? Because obviously they haven't figured it out yet because yeah. we keep seeing all of oh, exactly. these attacks nonstop, more prevalent yeah. than ever before, bigger, sure. more money involved. So what's what's the missing piece here?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, the big piece for me, and it almost relates back to, you know, that career path is there's a disconnect between the ones and zeros of technology and the dollars and cents of business, right? So there isn't a Rosetta Stone that translates them well. All too often, I think the technical practitioners fall back into what you know, their comfort zone and what they think is the right approach. So they keep spewing more technical data and the business leaders are like, Yeah, so what does that mean to me? You know, like if I say to you, oh, our domain controller has been compromised. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> now if I flip that around and go, yeah, they have the keys to the kingdom and they can shut us down if they like, right? Or they can now send messages to our client base that we can't stop. That's something that's going to send a warning bell to uh, to an exec, right? So that's, I think, one of the biggest challenges. But the other one, I think, is that in in the headlines, the headlines it's it's what's beneath them, right? So we read about these, you know, pipelines and major manufacturers and government agencies and so on, utilities that all get hit. And that Uh, I think through inference creates a false sense of security because all these other companies like law firms or healthcare institutions or whatever they are go, yeah, we're too small for that, right? We operate in the middle of nowhere. And so how would somebody on the other side of the world know we even exist or we have nothing worth stealing. And that creates this false sense of security. And frankly, when you don't think there's a risk, why would you invest to try and mitigate it or prevent it, right? And then if they do know there's a risk, I think the real challenge is nobody's got a silver bullet and there's, you know, there's a lot of confusion around it. So as I said, sometimes the executives don't understand the risk or the IT people can't effectively articulate it so that the executives can understand it. If you don't understand the risk, you're certainly not going to invest in the resources it's going to take to, you know, to at least mitigate it if you can't eliminate it.
0: And 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 that is really, I guess to, to just go back to your career and, and your progression. After working with all of these like huge tech giants, that's where your career's taking you, right? That is, that is what you're trying to solve for. You're trying to get those two units to communicate, to better protect the, the organizations, right?
1: Yeah, agreed. And I, and I think the other piece of this is some of those big companies I entered through startups, right? So, you know, we were acquired. Yeah. So I, I can think like a small company, you know, I'm willing to roll up my sleeves and do the work. And I understand they have limited resources. Um, and I also see, you know, some of the advantages of big companies, but I see the, the, the limits, right? Where, where sometimes, you know, it's great to be able to say, look, we have good gates and controls when it comes to say developing new product, right? You know, we initially determine whether, you know, sort of conceptually there's value to a, to a market and how we'd access that market. And then, you know, now we'll do, you know, more work to prove it before we get into execution and production. And that's really great, except, you know, none of that stuff moves quickly and that takes 18 to 24 months. And, and, you know, that can be a killer in a small company where you need to pivot. And it's the same thing in what I, deal with today, which is you don't have 18 to 24 months, you know, to get your act together. So if you don't have, um, the proper security controls in place, if you have a poor security posture, you know, there's, there's little things you have to do immediately, right? This is not about boiling the ocean. This is about carving off pieces that you can manage. Um, and you know, Something is better than nothing, right? And you, you're going to slowly progress because otherwise, you know, throwing your hands up and just saying, you know, it's futile. We can't do what a major bank does. Um, you know, you may as well unlock the doors, pull the cash out of the vault and, you know, <laughs> do a, you know, just like in COVID do, give them a drive by pickup service where they can, you know, steal your assets because that's what they're going to do.
0: And, and with let's, so let's talk about, the the human component of this because i think that's a big yeah. c- component like the you hear about phishing and whatnot and social engineering Absolutely. and how that leads to uh, probably more so than well actually correct me if i'm wrong but probably more so than lack of security protocols it's the human right. element that really screws a lot of companies so walk me <laughs> yes. through how companies can prep for that because that's yeah. not a that's not an it component that's just a knowledge awareness education piece
1: yeah, I totally agree. So there's an expression that IT people like to use called pebcac, which is problem exists between the chair and the keyboard. Um, and, that. and that's and, and it's true, right? Now, part of the problem with that, of course, is it creates a bit of a blame culture, right? Like, you know, you know why did you click on that? Um, but what people don't recognize now, and this is why you are bang on, helping people understand what the threat looks like, understand how it manifests when it appears in your environment and what to do about it is so critical because so many people labor under this, again, misconception that it's, you know, I'm gonna get the goofy emails that are in our spam filters, right? You know, it looks like my streaming service, you know, my credit card has been rejected and click on the link to log in to, you know, put in a new payment method, or I've got a package arriving from whoever, right? Aunt Judy sent me something through a through a courier. Um, and those are true and they're real, but they're what I'd call the background radiation in the internet, right? There's stuff that's far more critical. These are ones where they have figured out socially engineered what your business, your industry looks like. So a good example, um, recently, was uh, a criminal individual who posed as a law student and used that persona to make connections to uh, to senior lawyers, to partners, to judges, and then of course it looked like it was part of a mentor program from a legitimate academic institution. And then once they'd done this for a few weeks, had built trust with this person, then they said, you know, sent them a link and said, "Hey, can you click on this? You know, can you open this survey for me and complete it so that I get my credit so I can graduate?" And of course, those people are more than willing to help, right?
0: This episode is brought to you by. That's sweet. Now, as a business owner, I always remember when my company hits a growth spurt. It's great, but then you realize that things start to break. Things are taking three times as long. Manual processes start to bury your team in paperwork and admin, and you really don't have one reliable source of data or truth to understand how healthy your business is. If this sounds familiar, you have to know three numbers. 37,000. That's how many businesses have upgraded to NetSuite, the number one cloud financial system, 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years streamlining accounting, inventory, HR, and more for growing companies. And one, because your business truly is one of a kind, NetSuite gives you customized solutions so you can manage everything about your business in one place, from inventory to invoicing, one powerfully efficient system. I love having all of my data in one spot NetSuite allows me to do that. It gives me the big picture so I can make smarter decisions. And they turn complex financials into understandable, actionable insights. Right now, you can get NetSuite's popular KPI checklist for free to help improve your business. It's designed to help you boost performance across key areas of your business. Go to netsuite.com slash clary to download the checklist and see how one complete system can transform your growth. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Get more control in your business with NetSuite. I want to thank Belay for sponsoring today's episode. They provide solutions that all of us need. They help us get back more of our time because time is the most precious resource. A lot of you listening slash success and use promo code success at checkout the only way to get 20% off is to go to joinete me.com slash success and enter code success at checkout j o i n d e l e t e m e dot com slash success
1: and of course it, it was fake and you know it, it actually led to a legitimate document that had been stolen but then that that led to massive ransomware attacks those are the kind of things that people can face right so helping unpack How they work and showing them that this is more than some criminal sends you an email, you click on it and Skynet sends down a Terminator and locks your computer and demands money that they are working you, that they've already, you know, they're reading the news. They are looking at shifts, things like the election, tax time, back to school, COVID, whatever it might be. And they're then creating campaigns that are tailored. Or worse, they've already stolen information from people around you, right? They have the credentials or the accounts of other of of your peers and your employees or of partners or of clients. And then they come at you with that insider information. And suddenly it makes sense to you because you go, oh, yeah, we do do work with company X or yeah, we are buying that from them. So I'm expecting an invoice to arrive. Those kind of things, right, are legitimate, contextually relevant. So we're going to click on those. So that's where you need to step up with them and say, okay, this is what it really looks like here's what you need to do about it, right? Here's the basics, you know, that you can put in place to protect yourself, protect the organization and create and foster a culture where they're willing to report it and say, look, I got this email, I clicked on it, I thought it was legit. I made a mistake and say thank you for telling me because that's a tripwire right that's an alarm yeah. bell and the more of those i get now i can take action whereas if that person is has been motivated to hide the fact well what happens is you get the bad feeling that day you forget about it six months later something massive happens in the organization and you get that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach because you realize like oh i remember clicking on that fake courier link um, and that was the start right and so you know it's like bringing people together that's the important piece
0: why do you think? Uh, why do you think there has been so many more notable attacks lately, ransomware attacks and otherwise? Is it c- criminals getting braver, or, or more, more uh, You know, they're they're just uh, understanding how to exploit companies better. What is it?
1: Yeah. So, Scott, that's a great point. And that's a great question. And really, this is this is why um, there's two factors going on. One is that a lot of these groups on some level are state sponsored. Right. We've heard this term nation, you know, you know, nation states or or whatever. And that's mm-hmm. that would be like the military actors working for a government um, state sponsored are you know criminals. Right. These are gangs who either the, the, the government the, in the country that they reside, you know, turns a blind eye. Maybe funds them through some indirect method, whatever it might be, right? And the reason they're doing this is because it's a bit of the, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, And they realize they're creating confusion. They're sowing mistrust. They're doing economic damage to who they see as an enemy of their state. So, like, why the heck not, right? But the bigger piece of this is that, and this is another, I think, misconception, is these companies operate like Fortune 500 industries, right? They resell um, ransomware. They resell their malware. If somebody's got a really good version of it, they lease it. It's a SaaS-based model. They have revenue-sharing models. So, you know, if you're a little gang, you come along and go, okay, I can't write that stuff, but tell you what, I'll give you 50% of everything I steal, right? And they're like, deal. Um, And they've got experts who are, it's not just technology, but then they have experts who say, you know what? I've got a really good secret recipe that I use to infiltrate hospitals. So pay me and I'll do that initial work. I'll create the emails, I'll get in there. And once I've tricked these people, I'll hand it over to you because you know what, I'm not really an expert moving around in their environment and figuring out how to plant ransomware everywhere and turn off their backups. That's your thing. So they're all kind of collaborating in this sort of economic marketplace, right? It's And it is basically, it's almost like, think about our traditional SaaS models. You may have the main player, right? Whatever that is. And then you've got all the partners and plugins and extensions that bolt onto that, um, that, that increase the kind of the functionality of that core service. And that's exactly what criminals are doing. And, you know, ultimately, at the end of it there's economic payoff right they're making hundreds of millions of dollars to the point where you know you have the FBI in the u.s coming out and saying yeah uh, you know we don't think we should ban make making payments because that may be the only you know option for some companies who have fallen victim you've got US Treasury coming out and saying if you pay a ransom you know you better make sure that they're not on uh, they have these lists where effectively it's like the enemy states, right? And it's trading with the enemy, you're funding terrorism. So you better make sure before you pay that they're not on that list. And, and you know, it's a, I think to some degree, they're trying to, you know, dislodge or destabilize the economic engine but the reality is it's a very profitable model um and it ain't going anywhere right it's it's, it's frankly it's only going to get worse and you can see that with targeting things like utilities and hospitals where now they're really you know hitting where you know it's going to hurt us the most
0: a quick break from this podcast to recommend another podcast that you have to check out it's called the product boss is hosted by jacqueline and mina it's part of the hubspot podcast network if you have a physical product this podcast is hyper tailored to you it's going to help you take your business to the next level in a recent episode for example they spoke about the power of TikTok for product businesses and how to use it to drive sales and as somebody who is a little new to TikTok, i really learned some great tips for creating content that actually converts viewers into customers they have a workshop style format that makes it really easy to follow along to take your business to the next level. So if you sell physical products, subscribe to the Product Boss wherever you get your podcast to unlock social media, marketing, and business strategies that create your dream business and then your dream life. And that's what... So so Biden uh, put out that list, right? Of all these uh, okay. very Right. Now, they haven't... They hit... You know, the ones that I'm thinking of is JBS Meets, Colonial Pipeline. Yeah. Like, these yeah. are the big ones. Pipeline is definitely core infrastructure. JBS Meets is big, but... It's not gonna it's not going to ruin a country like shutting down uh, a medical system or a financial no. system. Um, maybe for some people, but for for many of us like these these core yeah. things that were on that list could truly just cause massive amounts of chaos, the power of all these different things. Yep. they haven't gone after those those types of industries yet. Do you believe that it's because they haven't been able to? or they're waiting for the right time. Do you think they'll respect the list? I'm curious as as you see the future of this type of behavior evolving. Where does it go?
1: Yeah, so I do think that's coming. Um, I frankly think we live in a in a bit of a, you know, cyber cold war, a bit like the 1950s post World War II, right, with Soviet uh, Russia and and you know, the West. And you know, there's that constant détente and right now we sort of exist in the same kind of world, right? I'm not going to pull the Russian spy in Washington, D.C. and go to town to get their secrets, because then I know they're going to pull the CIA spy in Moscow and do the same. Right. And we're sort of in that same I think that same kind of detente now where we're keeping it just south of military action. Right. Um, And it's great guerrilla warfare because, you know, these smaller nation states know, you know, they can't fight with the tanks and the bombers and all that kind of stuff. Um, But they can certainly fight in hills and mountains and caves and jungles. And they're really good. And I think that's what's going on now. Will it boil over? Yeah, I think it will. Right. It's almost like, you know, think of the doomsday clock we had in, you know, sort of nuclear war, where I would say we're definitely in the 11th hour heading to midnight in a cyber one as well, because, you know, I think there'll be that tipping point, right? It'll be a trade war or something that happens in another part of the world where they can affect, you know, influence or extort, you know, what they want um, by doing this. And, and a lot of these attacks, I think, are, you know, a proof of concept, right? It's the Yeah, we could shut down a gas line and and we saw what the secondary effects of that, right? You know, um, shortages at pumps, gas prices spiking, panic, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, what happens, as you say, what happens when we shut off water or we kill the electricity? Um, Or, you know, the big one I keep waiting for because it is, you know, things like attacks on airports. And I don't mean traditional terrorist attacks, shooting down or blowing up planes. I mean, shut down the baggage handling system for a day at Chicago or in Atlanta, right? Or in yeah. Denver in one of these major hubs and watch what happens, right? Think of the billions that's going to create an economic chaos um, and so on. And I think those are, are the things that are coming. So, you know, at some point, uh, you know, is the, you know, what are we going to do in the West here, right? You know, the US, Canada, the UK and other allies, are we fighting back? I don't know i probably presume so on some level but um yeah at some point i i do think it will boil over and i do think you're going to see you know this sort of like you know testing your muscle strength right and and figuring out what works and what doesn't work and i think the more scary part is that's the kinetic side of it but what's the potential energy side of it, like how many of these organizations have they already infiltrated? And it's, you know, a bit of the nuclear submarine laying off the coast, just waiting for the order to you know turn the keys and launch the missiles. Um, And I think that that's probably the case, because a lot of these companies are simply not prepared. They've focused on physical security, like a pipeline. You know, they don't want, like I said, terrorists getting in and blowing it up. Um, And they've they've not really put enough you know, cyber defenses in, 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 in place to adequately protect themselves.
0: Are there protection? Because we, we mentioned the, the people problem, quote unquote. What are yeah. the other protections that somebody could put in place to protect against something like
1: this? So there's there's lots of different security tools and technologies, but there's some basic things that I always say to companies brush your teeth and floss, right? Do the hygiene part of this. So things like proper password security, use two-factor or multi-factor authentication. And those things are even offered, right? In your consumer side, like Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, all these services will offer, you know, they might call it OTP, but that, you know, it's where you log in and it'll send you a, a code to your phone and you have to enter that as well. Those secondary controls slow these bad guys down. Using encryption, so having a VPN. I think now with COVID, we all know what a VPN is if we didn't before. Um, just some of the basic hygiene effectively narrows the entry points. And what it does mean now is it's, it's a bit like, you know, channeling them through that canyon. I know where they have to come out and i know when they pop out yes there's lots more things they're going to do um but those are where i can now put my spotlights or put my sentries and i can wait for them to emerge from that point um and it makes it easier to detect them so you know for many companies doing the basics uh is is critical right and and you know and that's going to eliminate the the new it's going to eliminate the uh what i call it, the um background radiation of the internet it's also going to Eliminate the kind of the moderate threats. And then when we get into the high level threats. That's that's a different story, right? That is where you're, you're going to absolutely have a Noah's Ark two of everything kind of security program to be able to protect yourself.
0: And and one point, um, uh, as I was going through the book, one one, I guess, topic or is a gray zone or a gray actor. I don't know what that yes. means. So what yes. is what is that?
1: Yeah, so the gray actors is kind of back to a little bit of what I talked about destabilization, right? So gray actors are countries that we haven't declared war with, China, uh, Russia, okay, okay. Pop- okay. you know, possibly the Ukraine, uh, Iran, you know, Iran, Iraq, Syria, all these kind of countries where we're not at war. So there's not a kind of let's call it a global entitlement to fly you know rockets over or airplanes and bomb them. They're not doing the same to us, but effectively they do seek the same kind of outcome, right? They want to destabilize. Their economy. They are sowing mistrust. Like everything that's going on right now just plays into their hands, right? Like, look at COVID. Do I wear a mask? Do I not? Should I get vaccinated? Should I not? And I'm not trying to advocate for one side or the other, but what I am saying is probably 20 years ago, we'd have just done what we were told. And now we yeah. won't. Right. So you've got that going on. You've got a distrust of government agencies, of science and all that kind of stuff plays into their hands because they're aligned and we're no longer right. We don't even want to trust the messenger or the messenger. Um, and then you got the economic side of it, which is, can I take down that big major bank? No, but you know what I can do? I can cause a lot of problems. Like, like your example earlier, I can hit a meat. You know a meat processing um business and what do i know that's going to do that's going to spike the price of chicken and that's going to be one more point of evidence to show that law enforcement is incapable of protecting its constituents or the government you know can't stop a foreign entity from you know extorting control over our economy and you know it's just that sort of cycle and like i said it's everything south of of of, you know physical war right of sending tanks and airplanes and ships uh but we're pretty darn close so
0: what what happens and I guess you know this is hindsight of 2020 I probably should have asked this question at the beginning of the podcast but I still think it's a good one to break down. So what happens when a company is a victim of a ransomware attack? What are the steps that actually take place that they would be experiencing or their employees would be experiencing, excuse me, or even what happens when law enforcement gets involved? Do they want to get law enforcement involved? Will that have an impact on the outcome of them being able to pay off the ransomware attack? Or maybe give them give law enforcement potentially access to more information that they actually originally didn't want to even open up? There's a lot of variables there.
1: There are a lot of variables. So if a company is in a position where they feel that they have to pay a ransom, right? So they've been you know absolutely shut down. And what we see is really good multi prong tactics to extort that, right? So things like they may not shut down everything. But then they say,
0: today's show is brought to you by 1Password. Now listen, we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts. I have a solution. It's called one OnePassword one is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like IBM and Slack to keep logins, credit cards, and other private info safe in an encrypted vault that only you can access. No more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere. I've been using 1Password for a year now and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 1Password takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC, everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today. Go to onepassword.com slash Clary and get a two week free trial. Let one password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepassword.com slash Clary for two weeks free. I want to take a second and thank Indeed. They're a huge sponsor of the Success Story podcast. And as business leaders, we're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all, it's to match with Indeed. Now, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. with no risk at backblaze.com story. They set up that link for all Success Story podcast listeners. That is a no risk free trial at backblaze.com slash story. Seriously, back up your stuff
1: you know, pay me now. And when the company says we're not going to negotiate with you, they shut down something more critical. They'll often um, publish information as well to show that they've gotten in. They'll contact partners, they'll contact clients and say, by the way, hey, hey, we broke into this company and we know they're a major supplier of yours. We've got access to your, you know, your secret intellectual property, your designs, all that kind of stuff, just to kind of put more pressure on them to pay. When it comes to doing that, I would recommend that they engage law enforcement because law enforcement is not there to criminalize the victim. They are there to determine attribution and to build a case for prosecution, but they also know what's going on in the world. Right. So they see this stuff. So they may even have decryption keys that they haven't been rotated by the bad guys and they're being lazy. Um, they can help determine whether or not it's a legitimate, you know, um, threat like this. is Okay. This is a major ransomware gang. You need to take this seriously engaging their insurer. So if they have coverage for this kind of thing, the insurers know how to negotiate. Right. So. The other piece of this to understand too, is the criminals before they detonate, they've probably done a lot of reconnaissance within the environment. And one of the things we see them going after is things like insurance documents. So they figure out what kind of coverage do you have? So let's say you have 5 million in coverage. They're gonna come in and they're gonna negotiate for 10. And they know that you can't pay 10, but they know they can walk you down to five and you'll walk away thinking you got a bargain per se. And they they knew you were gonna be, you were capable of paying it, right? So they understand, Those kind of things like you have to they've written the rules. um, They already understand it. And they haven't told you what the rules are. Right. So it's difficult for you to play. Law enforcement can help there. They can determine like I said, they can determine um, attribution. They can they can share the forensics, which is critical, too, because otherwise we all suffer in silence. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book, right, is when these stories don't get shared. We don't have a way of vicariously learning so it's like each one of us individually unfortunately learns the same hard lesson instead of us being able to observe what happens to others Um, and and so yeah it is it's a terrible experience because you know one of the things we don't talk about in the security world or in the business world is the emotional human side of it right so um, you're under a lot of stress you've got a board that's threatening your job Right. Um, Your name is in the paper. You have to deal with crisis communications and, you know, go in front of whoever it is, some media outlet that's called you at 430 wants to run the story at six o'clock. And they've done that to put more pressure on you. Right. Nobody's your friend at that point. Um, and if you're not prepared, you know, you're going through a lot because, you know, again, you're trying to determine, you know, right back to the beginning of our conversation is what the it people telling me, is that legitimate? How do I even pay in cryptocurrency? We don't have a Bitcoin wallet or whatever it might be. How do I do this? Um, and that's where law enforcement and insurers and incident response firms help, right? That's what that's their, you know, they're the, that's their job. They're first responders. They know how to deal with, you know, things when they've, they've gone wrong. Um, but the best thing I'd say for companies is, um, prepare it, right. It's a Schwarzkopf quote about, you know, um, the more you sweat in preparation, uh, the less you bleed in battle, right? And in this case, it's the less you bleed in response. Um, and it's very true, right? Knowing what to do, who to call when, having the right people come in like HR, marketing yeah. to help craft communications, having a, a crisis communications player to get involved, it reduces a lot of that, right? So it's still terrifying when it happens, but you know at least you know what to do. Versus, you know, the first 24 to 72 hours are spent in a kind of a panic of, of just even determining what the next step is, let alone fixing the problem.
0: Now, of course, some companies that aren't as prepared, they may be they may be taken, you know, uh, in, they, they would be surprised as attacked. They, they, they actually get things locked out systems, locked out law enforcement should start to be uh, should start to be preparing a little bit more but do you find that law enforcement is properly keeping up with these threats or do you find that they're still a little bit behind some of the the actors that are attacking these companies
1: yeah i i think they have access to a lot of information that we don't see publicly um i think part of the challenge is there's there's a little bit of a a pr issue right so a lot of companies are Hesitant to call in law enforcement because they think that they'll lose control that, as you said, right, information that they didn't want made public will be made public or that they'll call a regulator or they'll call the media. They're not going to do that. Um, at the same time, while I do think they help, the other side to look at is they're not there to fix the problem, right? So. You know, they're not going to give you first aid. They're not the surgeon who's going to, you know, repair whatever damage has been done. They're there to talk to you, to say what happened, to figure out who the bad guy is to chase them down. So you kind of have to remember that is their mandate. I do think um, they, they, they have a lot of information to share and they don't they could do a better job of having that public arm that gets out there, that offers free, you know, awareness training for executives, that walks them through, we call them tabletop exercises or sort of simulations of these events to help the executives you know, understand what all the steps are, what their requirements are, and, and what it looks like when it happens. They could do a lot more of that, and I think that's the kind of the good work that would happen. That's the walk in this, the 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 street or the you know walk in the beat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, So that people yeah. know they know you by name, they don't know you by a one eight hundred number, and I think that's where they could step up. And you know, local police, the FBI, um, uh, Treasury, um, Secret Service, and so on. Right, they all have engagement here and they all have field offices. Um, so I would encourage, com- um, executives and companies like reach out to them, bring them in ahead of time. Right? Time. 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 Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
0: Cause, cause this is only going to get, you know, COVID, everybody's working from home. Um, I know I've, I've been guilty of it. When you have a work laptop and you just start working on your personal laptop and, sure. and vice versa and back and forth. So it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse because people are going to be less careful. Yeah, some companies have VPNs. Not everybody logs into everything with a VPN. <laughs> you know, if yeah. maybe some that's, of the systems you need true. to, but not everything. You'll just, you want to jump on your computer. You know, I have my Mac, but I have my HP for my work and I'll have my Mac in bed. And I want to check my emails and I'm just going to jump on my, you know, my, I, i'm gonna log in through a web portal and I'm not going to worry about going through a vpN like it's not good but it's yeah. it's human it's human oh. and that's what's gonna
1: yeah it, it is and you're right and that's that's something that we need to get to right is we live in a kind of um you know, we used to talk about BYOD, right? Bring your own device. Yeah. Um, that's pretty you know, common nowadays. In fact, I think now we may be retracting that, but we've moved into BYOH, which is bring your office home or bring your own home. And you're right. Yeah. And one of the biggest issues we saw with COVID, and I think it still uh, occurs today, is that you're connecting through a very, or a less secure device to get into your environment, your home router, right? So whatever box that you receive from your ISP that provides your internet service. Okay. Those devices are consumer grade. They're not commercial grade or enterprise grade. They're not designed to do this. Most people don't even know what to do with them because, you know, they plugged them in, whoever it was, the tech set them up, and they have no security on them by default. And they have, you know, um, a factory kind of, you know, administrative uh, rights. So, for example, to log into it, most of them are admin admin. And, you know, and you can publicly look that up, go ahead and Google it, look up Verizon or Rogers or AT&T, they all pop up on, you know, right at the top where, you know, Google's done a great job of stripping that right out of the manual. Um, And so it's easy for bad guys to do this, and then they can, you know, keys to the kingdom here, right? So from a consumer perspective, um, encrypt your Wi-Fi. Don't name your Wi-Fi network after your home address or your family name or your pet because that stuff is super easy to work out. Um, you know, change the default password on the device. Even if you just do that, you are limiting you know the access that they might get. Um, but this is a bigger ongoing thing for companies, right? And I think this is a frankly an opportunity in the security world where we're going to start figuring out you know how do you do that dual model, which is you know on your devices having. Uh, multiple profiles. I mean, you already see that with browsers where, you know, Google, for instance, you can have multiple um, profiles, like a personal and a work one. So when you're logging in, it's, you know, tracking bookmarking or history separately, things like that, I think are going to become more common and, you know, additional security layers on home, like a, you know, light firewall kind of thing, like we see in the office, because the end of the day, Um, if you're not encrypting things, like you said, if I haven't connected through a VPN or some other equivalent technology, bad guys can drop a script on there. They're collecting whatever information off of you. You are far easier to socially engineer and, and, you know, a hook with a, with a fishing lure. Um, and then you still have, you know, access. To the company in particular where people have used whatever their password is um, you know it's the same for their email uh, as it is you know their personal email as it is for you know shopping on amazon or some online retailer and and their corporate you know access and that's um that's a huge problem
0: what um what is the i want to ask some some rapid fire career questions from you for, for the it. audience um, one before i pivot what is the number one lesson you want people to take out of your book? No safe harbor. Yeah.
1: Yeah, everyone's a target. And there are things you can do to, you know, prevent yourself from falling victim, right? I'm not trying to say you, it, you can't, it won't happen. But what I want to, what I want to do is break that notion of futility, right? That, you know, if, if some big, you know, ransomware gang shows up, we're done for, you're not. And there are signs and symptoms that something is going on, right? Uh, it's just like your health. If you've got a, you know, you're always tired, you constantly have headaches, whatever it might be, there might be a bigger issue at heart, right? Check into it. Um, because otherwise if you don't you we're going to just keep falling prey
0: if people do want to connect with you uh your social your website where do they get the book as well
1: yeah so you can get it from um m as in mike b as in uh, dot com. so it's available there and it's available from all the major online retailers like amazon barnes uh, indigo and so on
0: what's your what's your best social if people want to follow
1: uh, Sangster on Twitter okay. or okay. Um, cyber underscore MBSangster on Instagram if you want pictures. Okay,
0: perfect. Okay, um, you've had an incredible career. Uh, I want to pull out some career insights. Biggest challenge you've had in your career. What was that? How did you overcome yeah. it?
1: You know what? Being pigeonholed. Right. So, you know, I talked about where I started and trying to move and, you know, on, unfortunately, I think it's a little bit of, uh, you know, you either have to, you know, fix it, accept it, or leave it. And so, you know, I think quickly determining out of those three, which one is the viable option or options, um, and then making that decision and, and, and it made changes for me, right. Where, you know, okay, you see me in one light, I want to change, you know, want to change that light and, you know, and that meant making some tough decisions, but you know what, that's the way to grow.
0: Good. Um, One person who was really impactful on you could be a mentor. I know there's probably been a few, but who was that one person that comes to mind and what did they teach you?
1: Yeah, you know what? It was early on and it was a manager at Cisco who, uh, you know, I was working on all these documents and all proud of everything I had done. And he literally showed me a cabinet full of all these these documents and (laughs) collecting dust. And he's like, That's that's what happens, right? And he goes, this is what happens in reality. So he's like, get out in the field. And see it from the customer side, and then you'll understand what they really need.
0: Um, outside of outside of your own book, what would be another book or podcast you recommend uh, people go check out?
1: Yeah. So uh, along this this lines, um, the uh, 9-11 book um, from a, a colleague of mine, Bob Darling, he wrote about his experiences um, during the attacks on 9-11. He was in the White House as a military advisor, not a senior one, and he made some very stunning business leadership observations. And I really credit him for that because he's able to translate that sort of you know, government administration military experience into something that all leaders can relate to, right? Uh, About knowing your job, being a good follower, um, you know, telling people what you want to see happen, what the end state should be or the outcome, not how to do it and leaving it to their expertise.
0: Amazing. Um, If you could tell your 20 year old self one thing, what would it be?
1: Oh, uh, you know what? Um, There's enough people out there who are going to tell you what you can't do. So believe in yourself.
0: I love that. Easy, simple. Okay. And then what does success mean to you?
1: You know, success to me is actually, um, seeing change in others, right? Seeing my own words or thoughts or beliefs kind of parroted back and not just being parroted back, but when they've internalized it and they see it themselves, right? They believe it, they believe it's their own and they take on ownership. Um, that to me is, is real success. You know, you've made a change.